going to be, this is part three in our going through the book of Nehemiah. So we're going to be looking at chapter four today. And we are going to tackle the topic of discouragement. Now, there's nobody here that's been discouraged, is there? Maybe I don't need, even need to go through this message. You guys are all pumped up. You're full of encouragement, courage. You know, you don't need that. Uh, well, all you have to do is be in our world for any period of time, right? And we have all sources. I mean, I could just name all kinds of stuff that's out there to try to discourage us. We can't stop that, can we? But what we can do is learn how to overcome it. How to, in the face of difficult things going on in the world around us, how can we not allow it to affect us negatively? That's what we're going to be learning today through Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah 1, two weeks ago, I started this book with a a message about how Nehemiah got this uh, information about the walls being broken down in Jerusalem, and it was just a bad situation for God's people there. And he prayed, he sought God, and we, we did a teaching about prayer. Last week, Pastor Brian was here, and he talked about going from the burden to building, where they, he went, Nehemiah went to Jerusalem, got people together, rallied them around a vision, and they began to build. So now today in chapter 4, we're going to start where the people have been doing some building now. They're making some progress, but they're going to run into this obstacle. So let's start in verse 1. When Sanballat, and I'll just stop and talk about him, you're going to see him throughout this, this book. He was introduced to us in chapter 2. Sanballat was an official from Samaria, just to the north of Jerusalem. His name means hidden enemy. That's a good description for Sanballat because he is going to be an enemy of Israel, of what is trying to take place there. But when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria. And he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from the heaps of rubble burned as they are? And then we have this other fellow that's with him, another bad dude named Tobiah, verse 3. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they're building, even a fox climbing on it would break their wall of stones. (laughs) He's kind of one of these shady characters. You could just see him ridiculing the people with an exaggerated claim. You know, even if a fox jumps up there, it's going to all fall apart. So we had these two guys starting this campaign against the people of Israel rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Now I want you to think for a moment. Was what the people doing a good thing? Yeah, it was a great thing. Building this wall of protection around Jerusalem, around the temple, around God's people there. Why didn't God get rid of Tobiah and Sanballat? See, oftentimes we want God just to take care of the enemy, but he allows them to be there in our lives, sometimes for a greater purpose, a purpose that we may not like, But you're going to see that in this story is that God could have removed these guys. They could have never been there. But he doesn't do that. See, we're going to learn some very strong principles about how Satan operates. Because it wasn't just about in Nehemiah's day. It was about in our day today. These books of the Bible are not here just as historical books about God. 
They're here to teach us principles, spiritual principles, yet for us today. And so as we go through this, I want you to always put yourself in the story of the Bible. What you see here with Samballot and Tobiah and some others who are going to join him, it's, it's like Satan is operating, his demonic foes. So the first thing for us to understand is the tactics of Satan. You see him, these are four of the big ones. There's probably other ones that we could be talking about, but he likes to divide people. Has he been doing a good job of that in our, in our world today? He loves to divide people. He accuses people. In, in fact, Revelation 12, it says he, he accuses us day and night. He's an accuser of the brethren. He intimidates. That's what these guys were doing. Intimidation, ridicule. And he deceives. One of the biggest things Satan does is deceives. You know how he deceives? He usually takes a lie, but he knows a lie may not be real palatable. People will recognize his lie. So what he does, he kind of surrounds a lie with some truth. To make it like, for the naive person, they might be like, well, that sounds good, that sounds biblical, that sounds like God, and it's a way for him to deceive people. So we have to understand his tactics, and that what this is going to uh, do is going to hopefully help us to be stronger in our relationship with God, not that we would cave under the pressure. One thing we can see here is opposition can come even when we do good. For each of us, when we, we're doing a great thing for God, maybe you started out and you're saying, man, I'm, I'm growing in my relationship with God, I'm beginning to serve God, I'm beginning to give money to the work of God, and then all of a sudden you run into some opposition. What's the matter, God? Have you forgotten me? What, I, I should... Well, opposition comes even when we do good. Now, don't, rem don't give up, though. See, here's the next big point for us to really get down deep in our heart is that we need to allow adversity to build our dependence on God. I believe this is why God allows adversity. If, we, if he removed all adversity, we probably wouldn't grow. If you were here two weeks ago when I started this book, I shared that we are most vulnerable when things are going really, really good in our life. When we're really under the blessings of God, you know what? It's easy to become spiritually lazy. But what God wants to do is he wants us to grow, to become more and more dependent on him, less dependent on, on ourselves. And adversity is one of the things that can do that. It's like if you go to the gym and you want to get stronger, resistance will build strength. Spiritually speaking, resistance will build our strength, our faith muscle. And so that's what we're doing. Now, Satan loves to discourage the people. And uh, one of the ways he does it is tries to get into our mind. And that's what he was doing with uh, Sanballat here. I want you to look at verse 2 for a moment. And I have on the screen some ways that he tries to get us to doubt. And as you see these, these are all listed in the order in verse 2. First thing that Sanballat said is, Will these feeble, what are these feeble Jews doing? In other words, he was attacking their strength and ability. And Satan does that same thing to us. You can't do it. You're not strong enough. You don't have the time. You don't have the ability, whatever. Feeble Jews. That was what his first attack was against their strength and ability. Then he says, will they restore their wall? He was trying to put doubt in them related to their activity, the mission that they were under. The next thing he says is, will they offer sacrifices? 
It was an attack on their worship. Like, you know, you think you've got a relationship with God. You're going to somehow please God, these sacrifices. You know, he's wanting them to doubt their worship. Next thing, will they finish in a day, he said. There he's trying to, the enemy wants us to doubt the speed or the timeline. And that's one thing that sometimes things take longer than we think. And we can get discouraged about that. And the last thing is, the enemy here was trying to get them to doubt their resources, what they had. Look what he says there. Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? And, and so Satan, is, he, do, he doesn't have a big playbook, but he tries to use these same doubts to get into our head. You know, you don't have the resources. You can't do that. You're not strong enough. You know, you're not, it's not going fast enough. What's the matter with you? We have to recognize, though, and be very careful who we listen to and what we listen to. In fact, the next point up on the screen is that we need to filter our thoughts through the Word of God. It's like we use the Bible as a filter. These thoughts that come into our head, does this sound like it's coming from God or does it sound like it's coming from the world or Satan or something like that? God isn't going to try to discourage us. He wants to build us up. He wants to instill faith in us. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says this. We demolish or destroy arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That means some thoughts are not obedient to Christ. They're not obedient to his word. So what does that look like for you and me? Think of these three words that start with R. First of all, we have to recognize, is this thought, is this a thought that's going against God, against his word? Is it trying to bring condemnation on me? You know, the Bible says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. So we have to recognize. Then if we detect that it's, it's not a good thought, if it's a discouraging thought coming from the enemy or from the world system, then we have to reject it. That's the second R. We recognize and we reject but we don't just stop there, do we? The third one is we have to replace it. What do we replace it with? Replace it with the truth of God's word. That's where we meditate on what does God say about this situation. And when you do that, hopefully it will bring you from a place of discouragement to start to build the courage, the faith that you need to continue to move on. So we filter our thoughts through the word of God. Let's keep moving on. Verse 4. Hear us, our God, as we are despised. So let me just stop there for a moment. What Nehemiah does not do is he does not engage Sanballat or Tobiah. All these things, the ridicule, the, the exaggeration, Nehemiah doesn't address them. You see what he's doing? He's bringing it to God. What should we do when we have discouraging things? Maybe it's an email, a text, something on social media, somebody that sees you, says something. What should we do? Should we engage them and argue back? Usually that won't go the best. What should we do? We should bring it to God. And that's what Nehemiah does here. So verse 4, hear us, our God, we are despised. Turn their insults back on their heads. See, he gets really real here, okay? It gets, it gets even more real. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt. 
or blot out their sins from your sight. For they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Very real, isn't it? You know what? God can handle your real emotions. He knows what you're thinking, whether you say it or not. So why not just have a conversation with God? When somebody's hurt you, take it to God. Tell him how you really feel about it. You know, David did. Some of the Psalms you'll read about, David said, you know, just break their teeth. <laughs> or he'll say, you know, they, they dug a pit for me, but have them fall in the pit that they dug. Which lends itself to the next point. When we become angry or hurt, give our desire for revenge to God. And I know you're like me. When you're hurt by someone, don't you have a desire for revenge? What are we supposed to do with that? Let's give it to God. Don't take it upon yourself. You know what the Bible says in Matthew 5, 44? It says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We will have people against us. The Bible actually says, be aware when all men speak well of you. But I love this passage from Romans 12 because I think this says it so clearly in the New Testament what we just saw uh, Nehemiah do. It says in, in Romans 12, starting verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. But if you're like me, that's what, you, what goes through your mind, don't you? <laughs> you, want to, you want to pay back. You want evil for evil. But no, don't do it. Instead, be careful to do as right in the eyes of everyone. You know what that means? People watch us. They watch how we respond when somebody's been bad to us. Do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, why does it say that? Sometimes it's not possible to be at peace. If somebody doesn't want to give you peace back, then you don't have peace. But as far as it depends on you, you need to do your part. I need to do my part. If they reciprocate back, great. If they don't, at least I've done my part. Then it says, do not take revenge my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. You know, that gives me great comfort. It's not up to me to seek revenge. I just hand it over to God. God, you take care of it. You saw what they did to me. You saw what they said. God, it's yours. You know why that's even better than if I was to do it? Because I would only be judging based on an action. God could see the whole big picture. He can see the motive. Maybe they didn't really mean how it came across. And God, because he's a God of love, he knows what it's going to take for them to turn their heart around because he loves them just as much as he loves you. He wants them to change and, and, and to be a positive in their life. We don't always know how to do all that stuff, but God does. So it's always best. I believe this. When we seek revenge and we try to do it, God steps back and says, okay, well, let's see how well you do. But I believe him being God, he can do a lot better than us, don't you? So that's what we should do in these situations. Now, let's go on, verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Some of your translations may say all their mind. What that word heart means in the original language there, they worked with all their heart, means a strong, willing desire. See, 
Obviously, they had a motivation. They had a motivation that Nehemiah had given them, but it was, went beyond Nehemiah, I believe. I believe God was motivating them. God was showing them that they had to work hard. And what the enemy was trying to do is discourage them so they would quit, so they would stop doing what they needed to do. And that's always the, the worst thing. When we give up, the enemy wins. And I want you to think about it. When, when you've gotten discouraged in the past, what kind of response do you give? For some people, it's like, I just will quit. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm done. Other people, they might get angry, might retaliate. Other people might get depressed, go really inward with it. How we respond is so critical to us moving forward in our life. What God wants to do is help us through that. In other words, he doesn't remove all of our enemies. I I can't give you a message here where God's going to take away all your enemies. You'll never have anybody negative speak. uh, uh, Nobody's ever going to speak negative to you. I can't do that. There's nothing in the scripture about that. But what God wants you to do is learn how you can overcome it. How you cannot allow it to destroy you, to negatively affect you. These people, they had somehow moved past that ridicule. Now they're working hard and they got to halfway point. Let's keep moving on. Verse 7. When Sanballat, Tobiah, now they, they joined up with some other people, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod. Actually, when you look at all those people, they covered north, south, east, and west from Jerusalem. It was like all the enemies combined together and were working together to try to stop Israel or st- try to stop Jerusalem from building this wall. When they all heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. So now it's moving to a whole other level. Now it's no longer at the ridicule, ridicule stage, throwing insults, you know, the fox going to knock it down. Now they're seeing the progress. And now all the enemies are uniting together. You know the quickest way to build unity with people? Have a common enemy. I bet you these other nations around Jerusalem probably weren't all that, you know, got along all that well. But now they had a common enemy. We can't allow these Jewish people to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. It will be a major threat for us. So let's all plot together. Let's work together. And let's go and attack them and put a stop to this. So this is the stage they're at. Verse 9. But we prayed. This time it's not Nehemiah praying. It's the people all praying together. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. This is such an important principle. I don't want you to miss it. They prayed. They asked God for his help. But then they also posted a guard day and night. They did, this, they did what they could do, the practical. But they asked God for the help for the supernatural. This was so important for all of our lives. Whatever we face, let's not just say, oh, I have this problem. I know what to do. I just go to YouTube, and I'll watch a video on how to take care of this. That's one extreme where you go just to the practical. I'll just figure this out. 
Or the other extreme is this. I ain't worried about anything. I'm just going to trust God and all this stuff. No, God throughout Scripture is a partnership with mankind. He does his part, the supernatural. We do our part, the natural. I'll give you an example. The book of Acts, chapter 12. Peter is in prison. He's about ready to be killed. The night beforehand, he's chained between two guards in a prison cell. But it wasn't God's will that he die at that point. So an angel comes in there. The guards all fall into some type of trance. The chains that were on Peter fall off. That's supernatural, wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree? But then it's so interesting, if you read that, the angel tells Peter, now put your sandals on, put your clothes on, and put your cloak around you and follow me. The angel doesn't get him dressed. He tells Peter to do what Peter can do, put his clothes on. But then as they, at every gate, they just walk right through. The gates open, they walk until they got a block or so away from the prison, and then the angel disappeared because Peter didn't need his help anymore. At that point, he could, he could continue to walk on. And that's what it is in so many places in Scripture. God does something supernatural, but we have to do something on our part too. So don't get hung up on either extreme where it's all God and I'm not doing anything. I, I don't have a job, but I'm just going to trust God. No, you may need to go out and apply for jobs too. Or the other extreme, I can do this. I don't need God's help. I got this all figured out. Partner with God, which lends itself to um, the next point on the screen, and that is ask God to help us as we partner with him. Don't do it alone. Do it with him. Partner with him. So important. Now, we're going to move on, and we're going to uh, be in verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Okay, so now we have another form of discouragement coming on. It had nothing to do with these other nations or these people. This was the discouragement of the circumstance they were in. Sometimes your source of discouragement, nobody is saying anything to you negative. But it might be how your body's feeling or what you've been going through and the thoughts that you've been facing lately. And, and so sometimes our circumstance of life can bring discouragement. And I think for a lot of us, that's what, that's what we deal with. I know I deal with that at times. This message, I have to preach to myself before I ever share it with anyone else. So this is a case of discouragement coming on. You think about it. They're at the halfway point. The halfway point of any project is one of the hardest places to be because you know how long it's taking you to get to this point, and you say, and I gotta, I'm only halfway. i got to still go all the way to the very end. Halfway. Sometimes it's easier to get started. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of enthusiasm when you get started. It's definitely enthusiastic when you can almost see that you're finished. But the halfway point can be very discouraging. And these people were tired. These may not have been experienced builders. These were people just probably like you and me that like we, they had a need. They got inspired. But now they're getting worn out and tired. These, these walls had been broken down for 150 years. I'm sure there was a lot of work. 
A lot of it had been destroyed by fire. These, these, these uh, stones were made from limestone. And if you know anything about limestone, when there's intense heat, like from a fire, it can kind of destroy some of the, the uh, ability of limestone to stay together. So I'm sure there was a lot of rubble to it. I want to share a little personal story about in my life. When we moved here from, from Iowa, I had a great career. I was in the agricultural industry in a, in a large company in an executive role. But over a two-year period, my wife and I were praying. We were feeling like God was going to move us from Iowa to Florida. And, we, and it didn't make a lot of sense. Both of our families were up there. I had a great job. We were very involved in our church up there. But it just wouldn't go away. So finally started applying for jobs down here. And I got a job offer from a company in Sebastian. It was kind of a startup company. It hadn't been going very long. And they, they hired me to be the head of sales and marketing for this company. And I took it as a sign from God that this was what God was doing. They were willing to pay for our expense of moving down here. And uh, the only reason we didn't move down to Sebastian is they said the company was going to eventually move to Melbourne. So we got a... So we were in the stage. I'd worked two weeks. I brought Barb down for the first time. We were staying at the Courtyard Hotel across from the mall there on 192, and we were getting ready to do house hunting. In fact, we may have done a day of house hunting. And one morning, when it got up in the morning, I went into a full-blown panic attack. I was sweating like crazy. My heart was racing. I was pacing back and forth in the hotel room, and, and Barb thought she was going to have to call 911 on me. And I was overcome with fear and anxiety because here's what the situation was i'd taken this job we hadn't moved yet we hadn't bought a house yet but this company was not near what i thought it was going to be in fact i was comparing it constantly with the job and the company i was in in iowa and i'm thinking i'm making the biggest mistake of my life and i'm getting ready to move a girl that's going into high school and two other kids that are in elementary school and my wife to a place we don't know a single soul in the whole state this seems crazy and I'm like, I'm trying to think of it logically back and forth, and I wanted to call my old boss, because I'd left him good terms. I wanted to call him and say, can I get my job back? That's where I was at. Because I was so logical about it. It was discouraging to me. And I remember, like it was yesterday, my wife's hand on my back. I think she probably followed me as I was pacing. And just praying. Praying, praying, praying in the Spirit, praying over me. And as she was praying for me, I could just feel some of that anxiety, that fear starting to to slowly leave my body and faith rise up in me. Well, to make a long story short, I ended up going to work that day. The company was as bad as I thought it was, even worse. Uh, It ended up up, uh, going broke and, and closing. But you know what? Three weeks after we moved here and bought a house, I told my wife, I know now why God brought us to Florida. It wasn't for that job. It was for me to say yes to the calling of God on my life. I'm not sure I would have said yes to it up in Iowa because of what I was involved with and how everything was going so great. God used the adversity of here to help me go deeper in my relationship with him. So I was praying more than ever. And it got me to the point where I could say yes to God. Some of you are maybe going through some adversity right now because of your circumstances. And it may be something you're just ready to break through to something that you can't see. But God's 
guiding you. I know that God guided me to that company. And he knew ahead of time it was not going to be near what I had before. But he used that in my life to help me grow spiritually. You never know what God's up to, but we just have to trust him in these situations. Verse 11. And our enemies said, so now we're going to get back to the enemies again. These are people who are already kind of discouraged because of how much work there was. And our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we will kill them and put an end to the work. Now, verse 12 is an interesting thing because now it's people on the inside are going to be the problem. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, They will attack us. Now, don't you love friends like that? That's like your family members. Over and over. I just knew it. I knew you are going to get that virus. You're probably going to end up in the hospital. You're going to get sick. You're probably going to die. You're going to lose your job. You know, it's all that negativity that sometimes it's not the world out there. Sometimes it's our own families. Don't be looking around too much might give it away these were the inside people these were fellow Jews these should have been people like ignoring that stuff but they bought into the lies they bought into the negativity and now they're trying to work on the people ten times they said it they they wouldn't just let it go but look how Nehemiah answers verse 13 you see the wisdom that he has therefore see it didn't stop him Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families. That's a key part there, by families. With their swords, spears, and bows. And after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. I say that to you all. Don't be afraid of what you're going through. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. What we need to do today, like never before, is fight for our families. I believe the enemy is trying to attack our families like never before. As a counselor here now for almost 20 years, I have heard all the stories, and they're all kind of on repeat with just different names, of how the enemy has come in to try to attack families. Kids, kids that have gone off to college, husbands and wives against each other, parents against kids and grandparents and all this kind of stuff. What are we supposed to do? We need to fight for our families. But you know where it starts? Look at this next statement up on the screen. Forgetting what God can do opens the door to fear. We can't forget what God can do. Don't take God out of your picture. Don't just think about it logically. That's why I got in so much trouble with that panic attack because I wasn't thinking about God in the picture of how he could use this adversity. I was only looking at it from a logical standpoint and it didn't make sense. Don't forget God. Know what he can do and that will help you get rid of that fear. Because you know what fear is? It, It can paralyze us in moving forward. I was stuck at that moment and we don't want to forget God. And then here's the next key. Stand strong in the Lord and spiritually fight for our family. One of the things this church moving forward is going to be really big into is fighting for the families. Do you realize we have a school here with over 800 students? We're the second largest Calvary Chapel school in the world. 
We have a tremendous amount of stuff going on here for families. I, you know, we got the, the, yeah, give the Lord a hand for that. We have great kids programs and youth programs at all of our campuses. I know these youth pastors and kids pastors. They're awesome. But we're only here to supplement for you guys as parents and grandparents. And we are going to be offering more and more things, more and more special things to help the families. But let me just tell you parents and grandparents, what are some things you can do to fight for your family? First of all, we know the importance of prayer. Pray for your families like never before. They're under attack, and you've got to see Satan is behind those attacks. Second of all, you've got to help them know the word. Don't necessarily fight all their battles. Help them to learn the word so that they will also learn how to go to the Lord to fight battles. If you fight all their battles, they'll never learn it. And you'll send them off to college and they won't be prepared for what they're going to be facing. So help them. How we did that in our family was through family devotions. Such an important thing of teaching the kids the word of God. And we did it from the time they were in high chairs all the way up till in their uh, graduating from high school. You might be saying, but yeah, you're a pastor. You can do that. Most of the years I did it, I was not a pastor. You can do it. Just open the Bible up and go through a book of the Bible and just read a little bit and say, what does that mean? And how does that apply to your life? It was that simple. And then we'd pray for each other. Here's the big thing. Know what's going on with your kids. I invite, we, we did this. We had their kids bring their friends over to our house. We'd rather have them at our house than at their friend's house. Unless we really knew the family really well. Because you just never know. I could tell you stories that would make you cringe from some things that we experienced in the early days before we learned that principle. But know what's going on. Fight for your families. And here's a big one. Be consistent with them. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't live one way at home and something totally different in the church or with your Christian friends. That's the quickest way. Your kids hate duplicity. It's the quickest way to get them to feel like, eh, this Christian thing, that's not even real. I see how mom and dad are at church. Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, everything's great. And at home, everything is a cuss word, you know? You got to live consistent. You got to be all in. And you know what? None of us are, none of us are uh, perfect. I had to model for our kids asking for forgiveness because I made a lot of mistakes. I would get angry. I'd lose my temper. And I have to go to the kids. Oh, I'm so sorry. I taught them how to say, I'm sorry, and, and ask for forgiveness because I did it. So even when we fail, we can model how we should respond when we fail. So those are some ways that we can fight for our family. Now let's keep going on. Verse 15. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it. Oh, boy. <laughs> I could go on in a lot of different stories in Scripture where God frustrated the enemy's plot. We all return to the wall, each to our own work. See, that's the real victory there. The people didn't quit. They keep moving on. And from that day on, now you're going to see the organizational uh, wisdom that Nehemiah had for the people. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. That was really a great principle. It actually gave people a break, too. They probably switched halfway through the day. Half were on guard, half were working, and then they probably switched and went the other way and so forth. The officers posted themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. Then you see those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon with the other. And each of the builders wore a sword at their side as he worked. 
But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. And that trumpet would have been as an alarm system to let the others know if there was a problem. See, how do we get things done in the kingdom of God? We do it through organization. We do it through people doing different parts. How does a church like this operate? Hundreds and hundreds of volunteers make this place go. We have a relatively small staff compared to how many people come to church here. And we do it through people just like yourself. Some people like are very technical. Hey, I'd love to work in production or help with IT projects or whatever. Other people like, man, I love being outside. Maybe I'll serve in the parking lot. Other people, I love children. I want to be with the children. Other people like, I just want to be friendly to people, guest services. Other people like to teach. I mean, all different aspects. But when we all do our part, we can do a lot. This is what was happening here, and it's so important. But they were prepared. They were ready. They knew the enemy was at work, but they did not stop. I like what it says in Ephesians 6, where it talks about the spiritual warfare and the armor of God. It says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And if you were to go through the rest of those verses there, you would find out what the spiritual armor is that we need to put on. But when you put on all the armor, you know what it says to do? What's it say to do after you put on all the armor? Stand firm and pray. The most important thing we can do is pray. We don't go in fear. We pray, but we stand strong in the Lord and his mighty armor. And his armor is better than our armor. Verse 19. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out. And we are widely separated from each other along the wall. They they estimate it was about two and a half miles around the whole uh, perimeter, the wall, about two and a half miles. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. And again, do you see the partnership there? You hear the sound of the trumpet? You come with all your weapons? But our God's going to fight for us. They didn't just rely on God. They did their part, but they were also relying on God. Listen for the trumpet. Any of you waiting for a trumpet sound? I know I am. I'm waiting for the trumpet call of God that's going to call us out of here someday. The Bible says to be ready for his return. He is coming back for his people. And when we see what's going on in the world around us, it's getting very, very close. Someday there's going to be a trumpet call for us. And so listen for the trumpet. Verse 21, so we continued the work with half of the men holding spears from the first light of dawn until the stars came out, so that was a long day for them. And at that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Why verse 22 is there is because some of the workers lived outside the city, maybe in surrounding villages, and Nehemiah had the wisdom Hey, you're helping us, but stay the night in Jerusalem. That way, if the enemy tries to attack us at night, you'll heal the alarm, you'll grab your weapons, and you're ready to help us protect the city. And then verse 23, Neither I, nor my brothers, or my men, nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. That just shows they were prepared. They were ready at any moment. They weren't taking their clothes off unless it had to be washed, but they were ready for battle. I like what it says in 1 Peter 5, 8, because I think it's, it's important for us, too. Be alert and of sober mind. 
Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Don't you be one of the someones. Don't you be one of those people that are caught off guard. Be prayed up. Be encouraged. Be full of the Holy Spirit so that you can not be one that the enemy can easily pick off. Now, as we wrap this message up before we take communion, I just want to do a little summary of what we've learned here today. Sebastian, Vieira, I just hope that you were, you're listening as well as here in Melbourne. And here's just kind of some summary points of what we can take away from this message. First of all, how can we overcome discouragement in our lives? Because it will come. There will be sources of it. First of all, know how the enemy operates. He's out there. Don't be naive. We do have. There, there are spiritual forces that are against us as Christians. Don't isolate. Connect with others. It's so important that you have positive people that can pray for you, people who follow Jesus in your life. If you're trying to do life with a bunch of non-believers, and I'm not saying you isolate yourself from non-believers, but I'm saying you need believers also in your life that you're with and connected with. For my wife and I, it's with our community group. We meet every week to two weeks, four other couples with my wife and I, and we just love being in a community group where we can pray for each other. We can open up and share with one another. We have hundreds of groups that you can get involved with at our church. All you have to do is go online, find something, day and night, men and women, mixed groups, in the home, in the church, different campuses. Get into a group. Don't con- you got to connect with others. Such a strength when you're, when you're facing uh, sources of discouragement. Next is don't fear. We seek God's help. We don't just stay in the logical side of our mind and try to figure it all out. Sometimes we can't figure it all out. It doesn't make sense, but God's using it as a faith lesson. Next is we stand firm with the armor of God. We know that we're in a battle. We're called to build and battle. That's what these people were doing. They had a hand on their sword and the hand on, their, on the whatever they were doing for work. And here's our sword is the word of God. We need to have our hand on the sword, the word of God. And last is we stay focused on the goal. What is the goal? Well, I'm sure all of us have different goals in our lives, different things that we're... But here's one goal that each of us should have. No matter who you are, our goal is to become more like Christ, to be mature as a believer. We'll never be God. That's not the goal is to be God. But we are to be more and more like Jesus. And our lives are to give him glory. That's our goal. Now, you can't do that without a relationship with Jesus. In fact, the things that I've just talked about in this message, praying for your enemies, not seeking revenge, I think it's impossible to do that without the Holy Spirit living in you. And the Holy Spirit comes to live in us when we surrender our life over to God. And that's because of what Jesus Christ did by going to the cross for us. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like us to pray. And if you'd like to invite Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, I'm going to be leading you in a prayer. But first I'm going to pray for all of us who are dealing with discouragement. That this message can be something that lifts us up and encourages us and gives us some tools so that we don't allow things that we are facing to stop us. Amen? So let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Oh, your word is so rich. Thank you for just this example from Nehemiah how he faced all these different obstacles, whether it was ridicule or plots of evil or the weariness of circumstances or even 
naysayers from the inside. Lord, we know we all face those types of things, and we know we can't even stop that from happening. But Lord, help us to be encouraged today. Help us to not be discouraged. Help us to take thoughts captive and and to replace those with the truth of your word. Help us to move forward with with your help, with with the Holy Spirit living in us to bring us comfort and peace, even in situations that are, are not at peace. And I just pray right now for any person there in Vieira, Sebastian, online, or here in Melbourne, or maybe somebody who's even listening to this message after the fact, who's not in a relationship with you, never been there, or have drifted away. Let me just lead you in a prayer, a prayer of dedication back to Jesus, a prayer of asking the Holy Spirit's help to come live in you. Just pray this. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for going to the cross for my sins. I know that you died paying the penalty for my sin. And I ask that you would forgive me now of all my sin. Help me have a relationship with you. Send your Holy Spirit to live in me. And help me as I follow you from this day forward. And I pray this in Jesus' name.